Welcome to Unlocking Conflict, the podcast where we look at how we can handle everyday tensions and disagreement better. In our first episode, we begin with the main question. Why is this important and can we really learn how to handle conversations better? Throughout the series, we'll be looking at questions like, why isn't it easier to handle tensions in relationships? What do you do if conversations gone really wrong? And how can you stop having the same argument over and over again? Ultimately, how can we communicate more effectively to reduce stress and build better relationships in our lives? But first, introduce us. We are a group of mediators, coaches and facilitators. We work in diverse contexts, from prisons to multi-pound commercial deals, fighting neighbours and squabbling children. Most recently, we wrote a course together, which equips people to become more confident with conflict in everyday life. We decided to create this podcast during coronavirus to help people who might be finding that tensions rise during this extremely challenging time. But everything we talk about applies to life in and out of lockdown. So here's a brief introduction to us before we begin, so you know who you're listening to. Stephen is married to Fiona and has four grown-up children. For the last 20 years, Stephen has worked full-time as a commercial mediator, mediating some of the world's largest commercial disputes. For most of that time, he has been listed as one of the leading mediators, both nationally and internationally. He's also chair of trustees for Wandsworth Mediation Service, a community mediation charity he set up 15 years ago. Before becoming a mediator, he worked as a commercial barrister and QC from Chambers in London. Fiona wears many hats. As well as being a full-time artist, she also mediates and volunteered in prisons for 14 years, which included being part of a team delivering non-violent communication training and restorative justice. Sharon is a mediator and facilitator who founded PeaceWell to help people in organisations and communities to get talking to each other. Phil is a community mediator, conflict coach and co-founder of Crux, a social enterprise which helps people hold the conversations that matter. And I'm Sarah, the other co-founder of Crux and also married to Phil. I'm also a life coach and I'll be co-hosting this series with Anna. Anna is an experienced facilitator and a project manager specialising in intercultural youth education and dialogue and volunteer learning and development. In this episode, Anna talks to Stephen, Fiona and Sharon. So let's dive in. I am really excited today to be here with a fantastic group of people who are going to be talking about how to manage disagreement better. And I'm going to kickstart this straight away with that very important question. Why is it so important that we learn to manage disagreement better? Fiona. Well, I think that disagreement is such a normal, fundamental part of our lives. It just happens at all levels, pretty much for all of us every day. And I don't think we instinctively handle it that well. You know, you'd think that because it's there present so often that we would innately be able to or instinctively be able to handle it really well. But I found that that's not the case. And so I've really been challenged about that. I think actually difficult conversations or arguments or personal stuff that goes on for you is one of the hardest areas to maintain a really level head. If one's looking at disagreement, as Fiona says, it's something that we all do. We bump into people who are different. They see things differently, look at things differently, think differently, respond differently. And that difference usually leads to disagreement. If we don't manage the disagreement wisely, 
uh, or if we do nothing, which is another way of saying the same thing, not managing it wisely, that disagreements normally lead to a dispute. That's where the disagreement becomes slightly more formalised. And the problem, I think, for many of us today is that disputes seem to be on the increase in our communities. And unless those disputes get resolved, uh, again, unless they get resolved wisely, they're almost always bad for us. Not uh, necessarily critically bad, but if the dispute doesn't get sorted, there isn't closure. Mm. And a bit of us, our feelings of anger and frustration, shame, guilt Mm. about the dispute or the disagreement tend to get embedded and locked into us. And we just don't don't sort of get it, Mm. get it sorted, get it closed. Yes. Taking on that point, I I think it's it's a little bit like having a splinter. Um, It sort of sits there, quite a small splinter even. And you're not really aware of it particularly, but it kind of niggles. And I think that with something that's unresolved, even if it's quite a small thing, it it just sits there uncomfortably with us and it can pop out in other ways. You know, we can can get a bit snappy or irritable with someone. Um, And uh, and I, I, sorry, cut that bit. (laughs) No, 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 don't cut it because I think it was actually, it, it was great. Because what Fiona's talking about there are what would seem to be the the small consequences of not getting closure, the, the, the sort of the little things which we can easily sort of push away. In fact, as she said, they're like a splinter, like an ache that doesn't go away. But what, one can't also ignore the fact that dispute can have really, really serious repercussions and consequences, disputes that don't get sorted. Um, my job, as you know, as a mediator... I, I work with people where I see sometimes families split down the middle by a dispute, which may have lasted sometimes for generations. That sense of holding on to dispute, letting it define yourself, can be quite prevalent. And I suspect many of us and, and many of you listening will have had per- maybe personal experience, but probably know of someone who has been to some extent defined by um, unsorted mess unsorted disagreement Mm. dispute and Sharon you also work professionally to help people manage disagreements better why do you see it as being important why why have you done that well I've got involved in helping people to resolve disputes and and disagreements probably for the for the reasons that Stephen and Fiona have outlined because I think there's huge opportunities for people to if they engage well in a disagreement you may even sometimes you know win the argument or get get your own way but more to the point you are actually investing in the relationship so if it's someone who's really important to you if you're able to resolve a disagreement with that person then when you see them and spend time with them that time can be richer more productive, more enjoyable. You can actually, if it's, for example, a work conflict, imagine that you're walking into work and instead of having to dread seeing the person sitting opposite you because they're on the same bank of desks, um, now you can walk in and just have a brief exchange about the weekend and, and knuckle down to your work. It hasn't fundamentally changed things, but what it has changed is how you feel when you're walking up to your desk. Um, so it's as simple as that. Um, it's peace of mind and it's 
getting a result that can just make your life better, really. And Fiona, you were speaking earlier about very much it sounded like from personal experience about the small things and it making you snappy. Have you personally seen how disagreements can be transformed just by managing the conversations better? Oh, well, just taking a very, very small example um, this afternoon. So before we, while we were preparing for this the is podcast. About, this is about me. It is about us. <laughs> about, <laughs> um, me. about me. And, and I think we were both getting quite snappy with each other. And, 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 mm, and, and, and then I sat down and I, I said to Stephen, I said, look, tell me what's going on for you. What are, your, what are you needing here? What's, what's going on? And it just changed the conversation. It changed the direction of it. It was really helpful. So we weren't focused on the problem anymore, but, but what was going on for him? And um, that sort of unlocked something. Really, really helpful. A- a- absolutely. I mean, we hadn't actually discussed in advance whether or not Fiona would talk about this. So she doesn't. <laughs> but I'm giving her permission <laughs> retrospectively to say what she's absolutely right. It did work really well. Yeah. But but we both found ourselves being snappy, and I think that's the outcome. Something's wrong inside; it pops out somewhere else. Yeah, I think I was I was going to summarise it as if we choose to engage in a disagreement rather than just respond to it, we end up with a better result, and we end up certainly breaching what may might be a glitch in a relationship and possibly even transforming it to something different or better so it sounds like your afternoon was transformed by being able to just shift the gear change the conversation get down to what is going on here and then and then you can move back um into it into a more productive kind of way of being i i get that and i think you're right but it didn't feel particularly good at the time and it is part of the so the irony of of, of this stuff is that one makes choices to say, look, the person is bigger than the problem, which is really what underlies everything that w- w- we'd love to, to share. Uh, but yeah, that's okay in one sense, but at the time when you're feeling cross or irritated or uh, whatever the emotion was, it doesn't feel particularly exciting. You know, I didn't particularly want Fiona to say what she said, but she having done that enabled me then to say, do you know what? I can engage with that. I can therefore get a handle on what otherwise would have been a sort of morass or a blur, uh, which would be that sort of vague, unfocused sense of something not quite right. You actually focus on it. And when you focus on it, you start a conversation, you unpack that. And while that wasn't specifically disagreement or dispute, it wasn't far short of it and I think it's a really good illustration of what we're talking about. So you've all just touched actually on a few things that I think you would say could help in a disagreement. Stephen you said putting the person in front of the problem and Fiona you talked about putting Stephen's needs maybe in front of your own. I think it's important that we could maybe unpack that a little bit more. So what are some of the tools we can start to use to make disagreement, make dispute a little bit better or to find our way through it i don't know if i'd call it a tool but a a technique is to press the pause button so it sounds like fiona took a deep breath maybe was paying attention to something not quite right and just thought right okay i'm curious about what's going on here so pressing the pause button and being curious 
about what's going on inside yourself and then what's going on in it for the other person or might be going on for the other person is a great way to start because if you're genuinely curious you're more likely to engage and try and find a solution rather than just react to the words or behavior that the other person is showing so we often use um a diagram of an iceberg when we're when we're describing this because the tip of the iceberg is the 10 percent that's visible above the water and that's like our behavior that's the words that's the the gestures the standing up the leaving the room the banging on the table the stuff that we can sensorily experience with our eyes or our ears but underneath the water there's 90 percent of what's actually going on in the room or in the conversation and the first level under the water is what we we call the feelings. So the feelings that someone is experiencing are prompting them to behave in a certain way. So if somebody's frustrated, they might raise their voice. And underneath those feelings are needs. So imagine that's right down at the bottom of the iceberg. When our needs are met, we're likely to have feelings of contentment and happiness and warmth. When our needs are unmet, our feelings are more likely to be things like frustration or despair or sadness. And the behaviours that we then demonstrate are what the other person sees. So what Fiona was doing when she was talking earlier on was she was probably hearing Stephen saying things or maybe behaving in a certain way. And probably because she knows him really well in the past when he's behaved in that way, it might have indicated that he was feeling frustrated. So, so she's, she's asked him a question. She's reading the signals. She's asking a question, what's going on for you? Which is a nice open question. And depending on how open Stephen's feeling, he might choose to talk about his feelings or he might even dive right down and talk about what Never. Is, which is Never. maybe peace and quiet or clarity or whatever it is. So, so actually this model of an iceberg is, is a key model that we use when we're talking about resolving conflict because if you can um, be curious about what's underneath the waterline, then that's the beginning of engaging in, in the disagreement or the conflict. It's been a, a, a really pivotal little diagram for me because it's, it's given me a different picture of what's going on. So it's very easy when someone's behaving um, angrily or slamming a door or shouting uh, uh, to label somebody. And, and, and rather, with this little, little picture, you realise if you say, OK, that's 10%, that's a small percentage of that person. So this isn't their identity. This is just their behavior. This is a really important sort of idea that's going in my mind. And, and then, as you were saying earlier, Sharon, if you're curious enough to say, if that's only 10%, I'm interested in the 90%. And also, then you can ask the same question for yourself. What's going on in me? Because often we just react and we don't know how to take control of the reactions. And if we sort of ask ourselves what, what's going on underneath and acknowledge that maybe we're feeling unsafe or we're, we're feeling um, in, in danger or something like that, or we're needing friendship or connection, if we can start to acknowledge those things, we might not actually get those needs met. But if we can acknowledge where they're coming from, it really kind of clarifies what our behaviours, what's happening with our behaviour. And for me, that kind of takes the tension down, if I can name it. Absolutely. This is not something intuitive. It's not something that happens naturally. And it's something we have to learn. 
because it does require an act of faith in a way that there is below the waterline, below the really bad behavior, a, a living, breathing, uh, he, uh, feeling human being. Uh, and often, as Fiona said, we look at the behavior and say, you are a, by reference to the behavior. So, yup, very much something to be learned. And because it's difficult and counterintuitive, I at least, I find it really, really hard. Uh, and it's, I think, a lifetime of learning. So how do you begin to look below that waterline to, you know, it, it's obviously easy to see that someone's, well, from your perspective, behaving irrationally or being irritating or those behaviours that you see and make you see red. To start to see below that, how, how do you know what's going on with somebody else? How do you know what their feelings are, what their needs are? What kind of things do you need to start doing to be able to see that? I think when when I'm having a red mist moment, it's it's a really hard thing to stop that escalating. Uh, and Sharon said earlier, you know, press the pause button. Um, and I think that we have a, a sort of cycle that we're used to. We're, we develop habits of how we do conflict. And we tend to, to get into that pattern, into that habit. Really hard to break it. I'm a kind of all four feet in at once sort of person, and it, that, that, that's got me into trouble. I want to sort it out. I'm passionate about it. I want to get my point across. And the outcome's not usually what I'm hoping for. So I think, how do we break the cycle? Um, and I think just pressing the pause button and putting and saying, right, let's put it in, in this other element, the element of the iceberg. Let's be curious. Let's just ask a question. One, one question amid the red mist and see if we can, we can take enough breaths to pop that new element in there and say what's going on at the deeper level. And just to take you back a step there, you spoke about um, jumping in with all your feet, four feet, I think you said, and, and, and really wanting to get involved in the dispute. You know, that's what you want to do. But there are lots of different reactions. I know that I certainly like to ignore conflict pretend it's not there until I can't anymore and then it all explodes we all react differently what are some of the common reactions you all see given the work you do in this area and why do you think we have such different reactions I think Stephen said earlier on we're kind of programmed to respond to what we see and we sometimes use the analogy of prehistoric man being confronted by a saber-toothed tiger there are a number of instinctive reactions that you could have in a situation like that one is you know hide behind a rock one is freeze and hope that the saber-toothed tiger walks on by and the other one is to get your spear and see if you can you know protect yourself from the saber-toothed tiger and we engage in the equivalent behaviors now whatever context we're in it could be an argument at work with it could be an argument with somebody in a, in our family so in a, in a work context some of the things that i've seen uh, that would be, say, a fight behaviour, so a put your spear up and um, and try and get the saber-toothed tiger. Could be something like shouting in a meeting, but it's actually more likely to be a, maybe an aggressive email copied into a few people strategically or giving someone a real dressing down in front of other people so that they feel undermined in front of other people. That they would be what you call fight behaviours. Flight behaviours would be avoiding the meeting or maybe taking a sickie or asking someone else to say something in a meeting that you think needs to be said because you're you're kind of a bit scared and you're the equivalent of running away and freeze could be just 
seeming really indecisive because because actually you just can't think straight in the moment because it's able to strike it there and you're just like i don't know and that reminds me of of behaviors that you sometimes see in teenagers you know when you you sort of you know there's something not right and you say to a teenager what's the matter what's going on for you and they just say i don't know and it can sometimes sound grumpy and cross but it's quite likely that they may not know. They may just be frozen, not actually knowing how to react to a situation. Somebody might grab a remote control or shout, that's not fair, or, you know, we, we manifest the behavior in lots of different ways. But if you think about that saber-toothed tiger moment, that, that's, we're programmed to behave in those ways for survival. And physical survival is not really at issue here. And I, what I try and do is I try and think of relationship survival. So what I do in this moment is going to impact the relationship I have with this person going forward. So do I want to um, protect the relationship? Do I want to find ways of changing the direction of this conversation so the relationship is not damaged? Do I want to actually take a breath? And, and maybe sometimes it is okay to step back and say, this time, I'm going to go behind the rock because I feel so strongly that if I say what I'm really feeling like saying, it might be really damaging. However, I have learned a bit like you saying that you can, you can kind of avoid conflict for as long as possible. And Fiona saying she jumps in with four feet. I spent years having an internal dialogue where I would be ranting in my head, saying all the things in my head that I really wanted to say to the person. And, and finding it quite therapeutic, but actually it's in the long run, survival of the relationship is not going to happen if I'm only ever having that dialogue inside my head and I don't trust and engage and respect the other person enough to actually say some of it out loud. It's back to that thing about engaging. To protect the relationship and to grow it, we need to engage in the conversation and to do that, I mean, listening, Sharon, to what you say is that you're emphasizing the relationship. You are, there's almost an article of faith that comes across, as I hear you, to say that we choose the person first rather than the problem. Even if you don't like the person. No. <laughs> Even if you're a really irritating neighbor, you don't want to speak to them ever again. Particularly, particularly if you don't like the person, actually that there is a sort of choice you make. It intuitively, naturally, emotionally, everything about us, because we are wired for self-protection, will put the person down. And we, we somehow, I think, need to make that choice that the person is bigger than the problem. Um, I think probably you know, what I'm learning many, many, many years on is that ultimately that is what produces contentment and satisfaction because people are bigger than problems. My job as a mediator, um, having moved out of being a barrister in the law courts, where the problem was always bigger than the people, and so the lawyers and the judge were needed to sort it, is to invert it and to say, do you know what, guys? You're bigger than the problem, but you need some help. And the help you need is to learn how to be able to talk to each other. And so this process that we're talking about, having difficult conversations, trying to help individuals have it with each other, you choose first to look at the people, you look at them, uh, the people involved, that's the person out there who's bad behavior. There's another person involved, that's yourself. So you look at the other, you look at yourself, 
And then you look at the other again. You look at yourself again. And then you look at the problem. And you become more attuned to do the pause, to take the deep breath, to look at the person and say, do you know what? I think you're bigger than the problem. So where have you found this transformative in your own lives? Because what you're talking about sounds very good, very worthy, but hard, really hard. And especially when it's about people you really care about, or even when it's someone you don't really care about, because why should I put all that effort in? Have you got any examples of how this really has transformed things in your own lives or how you've seen it transform other people's relationships and lives? I suppose I, I will start off with a, a, a sort of more negative scenario, which is what was role model to me, which was, if you can't get on, you cut that person off. Somebody, an old friend of my mum's who, who came to me and said, what, what went on? Um, she got cut off. No phone calls, no messages for 20 years, uh, having been friends for 30. And that was really what I grew up understanding to be about a problem that happened in a friendship that you didn't speak again so it's quite scary so this is really important for me this this person I call it personal peacemaking it's it's about having the kind of conversation that you want to have the outcome you want to have and be safe enough to have it because you've got a framework which you can rely on a bit because I I had no framework growing up. I was scared of the outcome. And I think just having a few things to reassure you in going about creating the kind of conversation you want to have. Like, I, I might have an argument, I might shout, but I might come back to that. I create the space in which I can revisit that place, revisit that relationship. I said, I'm so sorry, it didn't end up the way I wanted it. Can we do it again? Can we start again? Can we have the space and the time, not be hurried? Can I start to understand what I think I was hearing you say? So that's, that's a line I would go to somebody with to reopen a conversation and, and to really, we're going to talk about it in a few weeks, but, but really listen to what they have to say, really try to understand and, and, and then create a space where they can hear me. And, uh, and that transforms the dialogue, it transforms the kind of outcome that you're hoping to have. There are these process skills which are really powerful. And when we're stuck as mediators, when we've got impossible people, the adage, the motto is always trust the process. Now, what do I mean by that? The process is giving people an opportunity to engage directly with each other. I had a, a mediation about three months ago, four months ago. I had someone shadowing me. Uh, and we're about two thirds of the way through the afternoon. He asked me, what did I think, looking back over 20 years, was the most powerful aspect of this mediation thing? So I pondered for a moment and I said, well, I think it's absolutely clear. It's not anything I do. It's the process which gives the opportunity for people who've stopped talking to each other to start talking to each other again. Yes, they may need help from someone because the conversation is very, very difficult. And you guys who are listening to us uh, should not automatically rush into a one-on-one -on -one dangerous, risky, unsafe, unwise conversation. You may need help. But the picture, the, the illustration I'm giving is that I've seen countless hundreds of occasions, hundreds of occasions over the years, people who arrive spitting at 9.30 in the morning by 6, 7 o'clock in the evening 
having had an opportunity to meet each other when they hadn't met or talked maybe for years, discover they're not demons, they're human beings. I had a community mediation recently where neighbours had fallen out and were exchanging unpleasant messages to each other on the WhatsApp group for their block, were avoiding each other on the stairways when they were going up to their flat. And we actually got the call to ask us to come and do a mediation because the mother of a young man was worried that the violence was actually going to ensue because she'd looked out the balcony and her son and an older male neighbour were, were having an argument with each other and threatening to call the police. So we had a fairly swift mediation because there was a, you know, a perceived fear that things might escalate and get out of hand. And in terms of transformation, it's the most transformational mediation I've ever been part of because by the end of the mediation, the young man said to the other man, peace and love. And the other guy laughed and said, yeah, that's what it's all about, mate. There's no way at the beginning of that three-hour mediation that you would have believed that that was possible. And what we'd actually done was we'd used a process where each of the people had a chance to just unpack uninterrupted what was going on for them, what the issues were, how they got to that place. And when Stephen talks about process, a key part of the process is that people get a chance to speak and that the other person gives them the space to speak. And having unpacked that, you could see the light bulb moments going on. Of I had no idea that when I did that, it had that impact on you. When we unpacked it further, it turned out that the need that each of them had underneath at the bottom of their iceberg was respect. So the young man wanted to be respected by the neighbour as a 19-year-old who was the, the man of his house. He wanted to be treated as such and not to be treated as some youngster, some whippersnapper. And the older man wanted to be respected as a neighbour who had seen this young man grow up from seven or eight years old, turn into a young man and actually had some wisdom and wanted the young man to kind of treat him as an older, respected neighbour. Once they realised that what each of them just wanted from the other was respect, well, there was nothing to fight about anymore because, yeah, of course I respect you. You've done this, this and this. Oh, of course I respect you. You've gone out and you've got a job straight after school and you're, you know. And once they realised that they each respected each other, then it was a very short jump to peace and love. <laughs> so um, I think that was a good example of where it can be, the process can be transformatory, actually. I've learned a lot from all of you three. I've known you three for a long time now um, about that process. And even yesterday, I noticed myself starting to use the process when I was suddenly finding myself hoovering furiously around the house. And I thought, <laughs> halfway through, I thought, hang on a second. Why am I banging this hoover against the wall? There's something going on here. I'm not just hoovering anymore. And actually applying the process I've learned from you to just take that step back and not focus just on my behavior. I knew I was cross, <laughs> but actually I didn't know really why I was cross at that moment until I took some time to reflect whilst I was hoovering on why was I feeling so angry about something that had happened that was really mundane in family life. I've got young kids, there's always a mess, somebody hadn't listened to me. But I began to unpack through the iceberg that you talked about earlier. 
my behaviors like this why am i behaving like this what am i feeling why am i feeling like that and actually what is the need behind it and it came down to my need to be listened to i felt like i'd been ignored that nobody cared what i had to say or nobody was willing to listen and once i'd unpacked it i actually felt calmer and i was able to have a conversation that i needed to have productively rather than just snap or sulk off somewhere and feel cross for the rest of the evening Um, and leaving everyone else perplexed about why I was behaving that way. (laughs) So I know the process can be powerful. And in these podcasts, we're going to be talking about this process and hopefully extracting some of the wisdom from you and others in our team about what that process is and how we can apply it. What are some of those, just some of those headline points that we're going to be discussing in the future to help people realize that hope and help is on its way <laughs> well i think um stephen just given us a little a little snapshot and you gave a really good example there of of um some of the techniques we use to just you press the pause button and go through this process of being curious about what's going on for me what might be going on for the other person but in order to kind of get the the insights if you like to then decide what to do with it and choose to engage Listening skills are really important. So we'll be looking in one of our sessions at listening, how we can be better at listening to really understand what's going on with what the other person is saying. And we'll be exploring the language that we can use, the language that we can use in questions, the language that we can use to show that we're open to what the other person has to say. So we call it language that connects. And also some things to avoid. (laughs) So avoiding judgment, avoiding labels, avoiding blaming and kind of disciplining ourselves to avoid doing some of those negative things to keep our minds open and curious about what's going on so that we can engage. And one of the important things, um, which I've heard all of you say before as well, is that um, there are times we're talking about generally in life when you're in a safe space to have that conversation about disagreement. There are times when it's not safe to have that kind of conversation. And we will talk about this some more. But, you know, we are not telling people to rush into something difficult, particularly if there's a lot going on. You know, take your time. Think about going into that conversation, whether it's safe to do so. And we'll unpack that in future podcasts as well. If you were to leave the listener with one thing that they can start to do differently having listened to all of this and they think great I I really want to do something differently this week now what would you suggest I'd say carry around a visual image of an iceberg in your head and start with yourself exactly the example you gave of the hoovering was a brilliant one when you notice yourself behaving in a certain way is pause and think what am I feeling that's giving rise to this behavior it doesn't have to be a negative behavior so we're we're implying here this this is all negative i think it's really good to, to pause and think about positive behaviors too so pause and get in touch with the feelings that you think are giving rise to that behavior and then if you can and this does take some practice as Stephen said you might not be able to do it straight away okay why am i feeling like that am i feeling happy because my need for rest has been met or am I feeling unhappy because, as you said, my need to be listened to hasn't been met? So tune into positive feelings and what needs have been met that are giving you those positive feelings as a kind of entry point. And then tune into some of the less positive feelings and 
be curious about what need is not being met. And I think that's probably a good starting point because one of the things we'll be practicing as we go on through this is once you've tuned into what those unmet needs are, is exploring ways in which you might ask the other person to help you to meet them or make offers to the other person to help them meet an unmet need. That will be sort of towards the end of the series of podcasts. But just starting to tune into it, I think, would be a good start. What do you think, Fiona? Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I think the other thing is self-awareness. Uh, we talked about fight, flight and freeze. And, and, and that's a reaction. And I think just being aware that those are physical reactions and that if we can give ourselves a little breathing space, because our brain is not actually going to be operating rationally at that moment. So we could be in a situation where things are going to escalate. And so just pulling back a little bit for a moment and saying, maybe this isn't the best time to have this conversation. I'm picking up a lot of what we've said, and maybe we didn't plan to say this at the beginning of this podcast, is the focus on ourselves as participants in the conflict. Um, and that self-awareness and that self-respect, looking at oneself and then looking at oneself again and saying, what's going on for me? Well, thank you so much. There is so much wisdom there, so much insight and so much challenge. But I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks and what we will all learn together through these conversations about handling disagreement better. Thank you. This has been Unlocking Conflict, brought to you by Crux, Peacewell and Wandsworth Mediation Service. In the next episode, we'll be looking in more detail at that image of the iceberg and how it can help us communicate clearly to reduce stress and enjoy better relationships, whatever context we're in. You can find all our episodes at www.crux.org.uk or on the main podcasting sites. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at unlockingconflict@crux.org.uk. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening.